The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R. Tolkien Book 2 Chapter 2 The Council of Elrond Part 1 Next day, Frodo woke early, feeling refreshed and well. He walked along the terraces above the loud-flowing Barunin and watched the pale, cool sun rise above the far mountains and shine down, slanting through the thin silver mist. The dew upon the yellow leaves was glimmering, and the woven nets of gossamer twinkled on every bush. Sam walked beside him, saying nothing but sniffing the air and looking every now and again with wonder in his eyes at the great heights in the east. The snow was white upon their peaks. On a seat cut in the stone beside a turn in the path, they came upon Gandalf and Bilbo deep in talk. Hello, good morning, said Bilbo. Feel ready for the great council? I feel ready for anything, answered Frodo. But most of all, I should like to go walking today and explore the valley. I should like to get into those pine woods up there. He pointed away far up the side of the Rivendell to the north. You may have a chance later, said Gandalf, but we cannot make any plans yet. There is much to hear and decide today. Suddenly, as they were talking, a single clear bell rang out. That is the warning bell for the Council of Elrond, cried Gandalf. Come along now, both you and Bilbo are wanted. Frodo and Bilbo followed the wizard quickly along the winding path back to the house. Behind them, uninvited and for the moment forgotten, trotted Sam. Gandalf led them to the porch where Frodo had found his friends the evening before. The light of the clear autumn morning was now glowing in the valley. The noise of bubbling waters came up from the foaming riverbed. Birds were singing, and a wholesome peace lay on the land. To Frodo, his dangerous flight, and the rumors of the darkness growing in the world outside, already seemed only the memories of a troubled dream. But the faces that were turned to meet them as they entered were grave. Elrond was there, and several others were seated in silence about him. Frodo saw Glorfindel and Gloin, and in a corner, alone, Strider was sitting, clad in his old, tavern-worn clothes again. Elrond drew Frodo to a seat by his side, and presented him to the company, saying, Here, my friends, is the hobbit, Frodo, son of Drogo. Few have ever come hither through great peril, or on an errand more urgent. He then pointed out and named those whom Frodo had not met before. There was a younger dwarf at Gloin's side, his son Gimli. Beside Glorfindel, there were several other counselors of Elrond's household, of whom Arrestor was the chief. And with him was Galdor, an elf from the Grey Havens, who had come on an errand from Cirden, the shipwright. There was also a strange elf clad in green and brown, Legolas, a messenger from his father, Grandul, the king of the elves of northern Mirkwood. And seated a little apart was a tall man with a fair and noble face, dark-haired and gray-eyed, proud and stern of glance. 
He was cloaked and booted as if for a journey on horseback, and indeed, though his garments were rich and his cloak was lined with fur, they were stained with long travel. He had a collar of silver in which a single white stone was set. His locks were shorn about his shoulders. On a baldric he wore a great horn tipped with silver that now was laid upon his knees. He gazed at Frodo and Bilbo with sudden wonder. Here, said Elrond, turning to Gandalf, is Boromir, a man from the south. He arrived in the grey morning and seeks for counsel. I've bidden him to be present, for here his questions will be answered. Not all that was spoken and debated in the council need now be told. Much was said of events in the world outside, especially in the south and in the wide lands east of the mountains. Of these things Frodo had already heard many rumors. But the tale of Gloin was new to him, and when the dwarf spoke, he listened attentively. It appeared that amid the splendor of their works of hand, the hearts of the dwarves of the Lonely Mountain were troubled. It is now many years ago, said Gloin, that a shadow of disquiet fell upon our people. Whence it came, we did not at first perceive. Words began to be whispered in secret. It was said that we were hemmed in a narrow place and that greater wealth and splendour would be found in the wider world. Some spoke of Moria, the mighty works of our fathers that were called in our own tongue, Khazad-dûm, and they declared that now at last we had the power and numbers to return. Gloin sighed, Moria, Moria, wonder of the northern world. Too deep we delved there, awoke the nameless fear. Long have its vast mansions lain empty since the children of Durin fled, but now we spoke of it again with longing, and yet with dread, for no dwarfs had dared to pass the doors of Khazan Doom for many lives of kings, save Thror only, and he perished. At last, however, Balin listened to the whispers and resolved to go. And though Dane did not give leave willingly, he took with him Ori and Oinand, many of our folk, and they went away south. It was now on thirty years ago, for a while we had news and it seemed good. Messages reported that Moria had been entered and a great work begun there. Then there was silence, and no word has ever come from Moria since. Then, about a year ago, a messenger came to Dane, but not from Moria, from Mordor, a horseman in the night, who called Dane to his gate. The Lord Sauron the Great, so he said, wished for our friendship. Rings he would give for it, such as he gave of old. And he asked urgently concerning hobbits, the what kind they were and where they dwelt. For Sauron knows said he, that one of these was known to you on a time. At this we were greatly troubled, and we gave no answer. And then his fell voice was lowered, and he would have sweetened it if he could. As a small token of our friendship, Sauron asks this. He said, but you should find this thief, 
such was his word, and get from him, willing or no, a little ring, the least of rings, that once he stole. It was but a trifle that Sauron fancies, and an earnest of your good will, find it, and three rings that the dwarf sires possessed of old shall be returned to you, and the realm of Moria shall be yours forever. Find only news of the thief, whether he still lives and where, and you shall have great reward and lasting friendship from the Lord. Refuse, and things will not seem so well. Do you refuse? At this, his breath came like the hiss of snakes, and all who stood by shuddered. But Dane said, I say neither yea nor nay. I must consider this message and what it means under its fair cloak. Consider well, but not too long, said he. The time of my thought is my own to spend, answered Dane. For the present, said he, and rolled into darkness. Heavy have the hearts of our chieftains been since that night. We needed not the fell voice of the messenger to warn us that his words held both menace and deceit. For we knew already that the power that had re-entered Mordor has not changed, and it ever betrayed us of old. Twice the messenger has returned, and is gone unanswered. The third and last time, so he says, is soon to come, before the ending of the year. And so I have been sent at last by Dane to warn Bilbo that he is sought by the enemy, and to learn, if may be, why he desires this ring, this least of rings. Also, we crave the advice of Elrond, for the shadow grows and draws nearer. We discover that messengers have come also to King Brand and Dale, and that he is afraid. We fear that he may yield. Already war is gathering on his eastern borders. If we make no answer, the enemy may move men of his rule to assail King Brand and Dane also. You have done well to come, said Elrond. You will hear today all that you need in order to understand the purposes of the enemy. There is not that you can do other than to resist, with hope or without it. But you do not stand alone. You will learn that your trouble is but part of the trouble of all the Western world, the ring. What shall we do with the ring, the least of rings, the trifle that Sauron fancies? That is the doom that we must deem. That is the purpose for which you are called hither. Called, I say, though I have not called you to me, strangers from distant lands. You have come and are here met, in this very nick of time, by chance as it may seem. Yet. It is not so. I believe rather that it is so ordered that we who sit here and none others must now find counsel for the peril of the world. Now, therefore, things shall be openly spoken that have been hidden from all but a few until this day. And first, so that all may understand what is the peril, the tale of the ring shall be told from the beginning even to this present, and I will begin that tale, though others shall end it. 
Then all listened while Elrond in his clear voice spoke of Sauron and the rings of power and their forging in the second age of the world long ago. A part of his tale was known to some there, but the full tale to none. And many eyes were turned to Elrond in fear and wonder as he told of the elven smiths of Irigen and their friendship with Moria and their eagerness for knowledge by which Sauron ensnared them. For in that time he was not yet evil to behold, and they received his aid and grew mighty in craft, whereas he learned all their secrets and betrayed them, and forged secretly in the mountain of fire the one ring to be their master. But Celebrimbor was aware of him and hid the three which he had made, and there was war, and the land was laid waste, and the gate of Moria was shut. Then through all the years that followed, he traced the ring. But since that history is elsewhere recounted, even as Elrond himself set it down in his books of lore, it is not here recalled. For it is a long tale, full of deeds great and terrible. And briefly, though Elrond spoke, the sun rode up the sky, and the morning was past ere he ceased. Of Numenor he spoke, its glory and its fall, and the return of the kings of men to Middle-earth out of the deeps of the sea, borne upon the wings of storm. Then Elendil the tall and his mighty son, the Sildur and Anurian, became great lords. In the north realm they made in Arnor, and the south realm in Gondor, above the mouths of Andun. But Sauron of Mordor assailed them, and they made the last alliance of elves and men, and the hosts of Gilgalad and Elendil were mustered in Arnor. Thereupon Elrond paused a while and sighed. I remember well the splendor of their banners, he said. It recalled to me the glory of the elder days and the hosts of Belorion. So many great princes and captains were assembled, and yet not so many nor so fair as when Thingo Rodrin was broken, and the elves deemed that evil was ended forever, and it was not so. You remember, said Frodo, speaking his thought aloud in his astonishment. But I thought, he stammered, as Elrond turned towards him, I thought that the fall of Gilgalad was a long age ago. So it was indeed, answered Elrond gravely. But my memory reaches back even to the elder days. Irendil was my sire, who was born in Gondolin before its fall, and my mother was Ilwing, daughter of Dyer, son of Luithin of Doriath. I have seen three ages in the west of the world, and many defeats, and many fruitless victories. I was the herald of Gilgalad, and marched with his host. I was at the battle of Degolad, before the black gate of Mordor, where we had the mastery. The spear of Gilgalad, and the sword of Elendil, Egolus, and Narsil, none withstand. I beheld the last combat on the slopes of Rundun, where Gilgalad died, and Elendil fell, and Narsil broke 
beneath him. But Sauron himself was overthrown, and Isildur cut the ring from his hand with the hilt shard of his father's sword, and took it for his own. At this the stranger Boromir broke in. So that is what became of the ring, he cried. If ever such a tale was told in the south, it has long been forgotten. I have heard of the great ring of him that we do not name, but we believed that it perished from the world in the ruin of his first realm. Isildur took it. That is tidings indeed. Alas, yes, said Elrond. Isildur took it, as should not have been. It should have been cast then into Orandun's fire, nigh at hand where it was made. But few marked what Isildur did. He alone stood by his father in that last mortal contest, and very Gilgalad only Cyrodiil stood and I. But Isildur would not listen to our counsel. This I will have as Wergild of my father and my brother, he said. And therefore, whether we would or not, he took it to treasure it. But soon he was betrayed by it to his death. And so it is named in the north Isildur's Bane. Yet death maybe was better than what else might have befallen him. Only to the north did these tidings come, and only to a few. Small wonder it is that you have not heard of them, Boromir. From the ruin of the gladden fields where Isildur perished, three men came ever back over the mountains after long wandering. One of these was Otar, the esquire of Isildur, who bore the shards of the sword of Elendil, and he brought them to Valadil, the heir of Isildur, who being but a child had remained here in Rivendell. But Narsil was broken, and its light extinguished, and it has not yet been forged again. Fruitless did I call the victory of the last alliance, not wholly so, yet it did not achieve its end. Sauron was diminished, but not destroyed. His ring was lost, but not unmade. The dark tower was broken, but its foundations were not removed, for they were made with the power of the ring, and while it remains, they will endure. Many elves and many mighty men, and many of their friends, had perished in the war. Anerion was slain, and Isildur was slain, and Gilgalad and Elendur were no more. Never again shall there be any such league of elves and men, for men multiply, and the firstborn decrease, and the two kindreds are estranged. And ever since that day the race of Numenor has decayed, and the span of their years has lessened. In the north, after the war and the slaughter of the gladden fields, the men of Westerness were diminished, and their city of Anumanus, beside Lake Evendom, fell into ruin. And the heirs of Valendil removed and dwelt at Fornost, on the high north downs, and that now too is desolate. 
Men call it Dead Men's Dyke, and they fear to tread there, for the folk of Arnor dwindled, and their foes devoured them, and their lordship passed, leaving only green mounds in the grassy hills. In the south the realm of Gondor long endured, and for a while its splendor grew, recalling somewhat of the might of Numenor, ere it fell. High towers that people built, and strong places and havens of many ships, and the winged crown of the kings of men was held in awe by folk of many tongues. Their chief city was Oscalith, citadel of the stars through the midst of which the river flowed. In Minas Athil they built, tower of the rising moon, eastward upon a shoulder of the mountain shadow, westward at the feet of the white mountains, Minas Anon they built, tower of the setting sun. There in the courts of the king grew a white tree, from the seed of that tree which Isildur brought over the deep waters, and the seed of that tree before came from Eresia, and before that out of the uttermost west in the day before days when the world was young. But in the wearing of the swift years of Middle-earth, the line of Mindelith, son of Anorian, failed, and the tree withered, and the blood of the Numenorians became mingled with that of lesser men. Then the watch upon the walls of Mordor slept, and dark things crept back to Gorgoroth. And on a time evil things came forth, and they took Minas, Ithil, and abode in it, and they made it into a place of dread, and it is called Minas Morgul, the Tower of Sorcery. Then Minas Anon was named new, Minas Tirith, the Tower of God, and these two cities were ever at war, but Oscaloth, which lay between, was deserted, and in its ruins shadows walked. So it has been for many lives of men, the lords of Minas Tirith still fight on, defying our enemies, keeping the passage of the river from Argonoth to the sea. And now that part of the tale that I shall tell is drawn to its close, for in the days of Isildur the ruling ring passed out of all knowledge, and the three were released from its dominion. But now, in this latter day, they are in peril once more. For to our sorrow the one has been found. Others shall speak of its finding, for in that I played small part. <laughs>